My name is Alex Culpepper. I'm the children's pastor here at Village Church. It's my pleasure to be with you uh, while Michael is with Village Church East, uh, just worshiping with them and, and, and preaching to them. I, uh, I have the privilege of coming up here and sharing God's word with you this morning. And as I do that, I want to just uh, bring you in uh, on a little something about myself. So I grew up and I had a hero growing up. Now, to give you some background, I was, uh, I, I was pretty young. My brother is about 14 years older than me, so there's a big gap between us, and it's just the two of us. So um, as I grew up, I, uh, I really had a hero, and that hero was my brother. I, I looked up to my brother, so everybody go, aww. <laughs> yes, that's, good job, good job. So, um, so as I grew up, I was watching my brother, and I always looked up to my brother, uh, sp- specifically in one area. Um, my brother, as he went through high school, was always involved in uh, musicals and involved in uh, just music in general. He played in the band. He, he sang in the choir. And I got to go, I went to like every one of the shows that he did. And then, so then he went into college and, uh, and then he was, he was again involved. He was a music major. He sang in the choirs. Uh, he became a, a voice major. So he started focusing on his voice. And then he went into grad school and started uh, he became an opera singer, actually. And so I, I watched him go through this whole thing. And, and watching him, because he was my hero, because he had inspired me, it actually it, it, it inspired me to, to start focusing on music as well. So as I went through high school, I was involved in musicals, and I was in the band, and I, I sang in the choirs, and I got involved in music, and I started to, to experience the, the whole stage life and being up in front of people. And um, I, I can tell you that um, had my brother not inspired me in the way that he did, had he not been a hero for me that I looked up to, like I probably wouldn't be nearly as comfortable as I am just standing in front of people and talking to them. Like I'm, I'm able to be the preacher that I am today uh, because he went before me. Not just, not just a, the musician that I've developed to be, not just uh, the the singer, not just these different things. Like not the performer. I'm actually able to like get up on stage in front of people and preach because my brother like went before me. He blazed this trail into this life of performance and, and he really inspired me to step in to that life as well. And so the fact that I can even preach on stage in front of people is, is related to this role that he played in my life of really inspiring me. And just like he blazed that trail in front of me, we all together as Christians, we have people who have blazed the trail in front of us in the life of faith. We have people who have gone before us and they, their, their lives really serve to inspire us in the life of faith. You see, God uses the examples of those who act in faith, who act in true faith, to inspire us, those who have come after them, to act Likewise, you see, true faith begets true faith. So as one person acts in faith, as one person goes out and they begin to trust God, to have confidence in God, to believe that, that God is who he says he is, as they take a step of faith, we all stand back and watch them, and then we get to see God work on their behalf. And as God works, we become inspired then to act in true faith like they acted in true faith. 
One of my favorite things uh, that I get to see being a part of the church is I get to see Christians share their stories with one another. And actually, this is something that we do uh, in Men's First Tuesday. Uh, Every time that we have a Men's First Tuesday, we get together and one guy shares his testimony with the whole group. And as he shares his testimony, we all get to hear about how he trusted God Uh, through different stages of his life and how God actually worked on his behalf to to change him and and to mold him into the man that that God wanted him to be and to to send him out and to do amazing things in his life, all because he trusted God. So we hear his story, and then all of us guys, as we hear that story, we're inspired then to trust God more. I also think this is one of the reasons that God gave us Scripture. Scripture. God gave us stories of people who have gone before us, who lived lives simply trusting God. And they they stand out to us as heroes, but they're not heroes because of anything that they did in and of themselves. They're heroes simply because they trusted God, who is the real hero of every story in Scripture. And so we look back at them and these, these amazing things that God did simply because they trusted God. This is what we've been learning about as we've been going through Hebrews 11. We've been picking up on these people who who simply trusted God throughout their lives. We've been looking at Abraham and Moses, all these guys who throughout their lives trusted God and God worked on their behalf. And so uh, if you could please turn to Hebrews 11 with me. Uh, We'll we'll start in verse, uh, verse 32. The author is wrapping up this discussion he's been having on faith and, and people who have acted in faith. And as he comes to the end, he seems to sort of be stumbling over himself. Like he can't get this list of names out fast enough. He wants to let the people that he's talking to, he wants to let them know how, how the people who have gone before them have acted in faith. He wants to make a statement about them. And his whole objective it, is to, to tell us about those who have acted in faith so that he might inspire us to true faith. The author is seeking to inspire us by giving us these stories of people who have gone before us. And so he gives us a list. If you would read with me in verse 32, he says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. So he's, he's just trying to get this list of names out. And now I want to sort of take your feet and put them in the shoes of somebody who really lives in the world of the Old Testament, like the people that this author is writing to. I read this list, and I know that the author is trying to inspire us, but, but, but I read this list, and I, I look at Gideon, and I look at Samson, and I, I wonder, like, he's seeking to inspire us with these people, like there's, there's, there's nothing really particularly stellar about the people on this list. I don't know if you know that, but the people on this list aren't very like special people. Like, so I just, so I need to be honest, the, like the overall ability and character level of the people on this list, it ranges from about normal to moronic. Okay, like these guys, like some of them are just like regular guys, okay, pretty normal guys, but some of them are like just plain stupid. Like we look at the stories of some of these guys, and I I think of like Gideon. 
Like, why in the world is Gideon on this list? Why is Samson on this list? I mean, these, like, we're, we're going to get into the stories of these guys in just a second, but I, like, I'm confounded as to why the author of this book would put these guys in a list of people who acted in true faith. And even David, who was, who was a shepherd, he was a, a weak shepherd boy, and he ended up in his life being an adulterer and a murderer, And he's on this list of people who are supposed to inspire us, people of faith who are supposed to inspire us. So I think there's an encouragement here in that if you've done stupid things, like I've done some pretty stupid things, and if you have a pattern of life that is consistently resistant to what God wants for you, let me say that again. If you have a pattern of life that is consistently resistant to what God wants for you, then I have good news. That doesn't have to be your whole story because some of these guys had a pattern of life that was resistant to what God wanted for them, but that wasn't their whole story. In fact, here they're celebrated for having true faith. So today, as we look at these examples, uh, we got together as pastors and talked about how God would have us bring this text before Village Church, what he would have us do with it to, to really inspire you to live out your faith more boldly, to inspire all of us to live out our faith more boldly. And so we decided to end the series with two blessings, and they're really two blessings that come out of this passage. The first blessing is this, may you be inspired to overcome. Again, verse 32 says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. So this is the first thing I want you to notice. God uses the normal, so like just the regular average people, the normal, the weak, and the screw-ups who trust him. God uses the normal, the weak, and the screw-ups who trust him. Let's talk about Gideon. Uh, Gideon, in a, a chapter in the Bible about faith, is like almost the most confusing thing in the world because Gideon was a doubter, okay? Gideon, so God spoke to Gideon. Like, Gideon heard the voice of God. If any of you heard the voice of God speak something to you, like I imagine that you would just get up and do whatever he said because you actually heard the voice of God. Well, that's what happened to Gideon. And Gideon didn't really take God at his word. God told Gideon to do something and, and Gideon said, well, I, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I can do that. I need, you to, I need to test you. I need you to show me uh, that you can do it first. So, so God showed him. He gave him a sign. And then Gideon was like, oh, I don't, I don't think that's, that's really good enough. I need you to give me another sign. And so God gave him another sign. And so this whole story of Gideon is somebody who just really doesn't trust God. So how is he in this story about faith? That's what I don't understand. Well, what we see about Gideon is that Gideon eventually did obey God. He eventually did listen to God and God worked on his behalf. God did something amazing for him that it enabled him as, as the leader of Israel at the time to actually miraculously rout an entire army. 
Now, uh, we don't have time to get into exactly what God did for all of these people. So if th- most of these stories happen in the book of Judges and in the books, books of First and Second Samuel. So if you want to go back and read about these guys. But we're going to keep hearing about guys who trusted God and God worked on their behalf. So let's look at Barak. Barak was weak. God had called him to lead his people and uh, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't lead his people. He had to have somebody else go in front of him. And so uh, Deborah actually came and led the people of God and Barak followed behind her. So again, we have somebody who is weak, who didn't really trust God, who didn't take him out of his word, but he did trust God and that he followed the next person that God provided. And so in a moment, Barak trusted God and he was used by God. God worked on his behalf. We have Samson. Samson was a screw-up. Samson was, first of all, full of rage. Like, if you made the guy mad, he wouldn't have any problem just killing you. That was his nature. In fact, he was, God gave him like this superhuman strength where he would rout in like, like thousands of people by himself. So he had this, this level of Rage. He also uh, was at times a drunkard. He was at times, many times, disobedient. He was sexually immoral. Um, in fact, Samson had, he was a Nazarite. He had taken the Nazarite vow and he had uh, three things. The Nazarite vow includes three things. First, he couldn't, he couldn't be drunk with wine. He couldn't cut his hair and he couldn't touch anything that was dead. Uh, That was the requirements. And by the end of his life, Samson had broken all three of those vows. All three of those things that he was not allowed to do. And so his story is really a story of somebody who just absolutely did not trust God, did not take God at his word, did not believe him. And so because of all this, God ends up eventually taking his strength away from him, the superhuman strength that he had. He takes it away from him. He, he gets taken prisoner by the Philistines who are enemies of Israel. He's, he's bound in chains and he's in this palace and this place where all these Philistines are just partying and he's chained up. He's blind at this point. He's got all these things wrong with him because he simply didn't trust God. And in this one moment, he's looking back on his life. He realizes that he hasn't trusted God. And finally, he calls out to God and said, God, I finally want to obey you. I want to destroy these Philistines. And so in an act of faith, God gives him his strength back and he brings down this entire building on top of these Philistines, sacrificing himself in the process. In a moment, Samson's whole life, let's, let's talk about Samson's whole life. It was stained by disobedience and, and unfaithfulness to God. But in a moment, Samson trusted God and God worked on his behalf. Jephthah. Jephthah was a man of questionable character. He surrounded himself with what the Bible calls worthless fellows. He was the son of a prostitute. And his actions started a civil war in Israel. But he trusted God in a moment and was used by God. God used him to uh, obtain military victory over Israel's enemies. David. David was a a weak shepherd boy, uh, the last of his brothers to actually be considered for the role. He had 12 other brothers, and he said, nope. Uh, They went through all of them, and then finally it came to David. 
But what was important about David was that he trusted God. In fact, David consistently trusted God throughout most of his life. We see uh, even in this first story of David trusting God, we have this weak shepherd boy going against the giant of a man, Goliath. And he ends up defeating Goliath, not because of any strength that David had in himself, but because he trusted God. You see, David consistently trusted God and he was used by God. We have the story of Samuel, who for the most part was a, a pretty faithful guy. Uh, save, save for the, the stories of his sons who came after him, Samson was, was a really, uh, he, he obeyed God, he listened to God, he consistently trusted God. And what, what's important about Samuel is nothing that he had in and of himself, is that he trusted God, and so God worked on his behalf. God used him. So what's the deal with this? As we think about this story, I, or these, this series of stories, I, like, I wonder why I'm so confounded that, that Samson would be considered in this list of people who had faith. And this is what I think it is. I think it's a difference in how I evaluate things versus how God evaluates things. There's a difference in the world's economy versus God's economy. You see, in the world's economy, what's valuable is that the good in your life outweighs the bad. What's valuable is that the good things that you do, as long as you do more good things than you do bad things, that that somehow you're going to come out all right in the end, and that's a very valuable thing. So I can look at your life and objectively say that you lived a good life, that you did good things. But like when I hear a story of Samson, or even David, who was a murderer and and an adulterer, like, in today's context, that, like murdering somebody gets you thrown in prison. Like that puts a stain on your life that sort of blots out all the other good things that you might have done. So as I look at the life of David or as I look at the life of Samson, like why it just doesn't make any sense because what's valuable is that the good in your life outweighs the bad. But God's economy is very different. In God's economy, he looks at you and says, what's valuable is that you trust me. What's valuable is that you trust me. And I think there's an encouragement here. If you are weak, if you are a screw-up, even if you are right now in a season with God where you are disobeying him, where you are not listening to him, there's good news. God is looking for people who will trust him. God is looking for people who will trust him. So if you're in a season with God where you're not listening, where you're not obeying, that does not have to stain your whole life. That does not have to tell your whole story. In fact, right now, God is looking at you and he's waiting for you to simply trust him so that he can work on your behalf. There's another thing that we pick up from this, and it's a challenge that we have to another pattern of life. It challenges the power of positive thinking in our culture. You see, the world tells us that the solution, the solution to you acting in a bad way, see, your real problem is that you don't have a high enough self-worth. You don't think highly enough of yourself. 
That's your problem. And so if you would just think better about yourself. Now, before I go too far, I want you to understand, like, I, I really do think a, like a good self-image, that's an important thing. I don't want to say that that's unimportant. It's good that you have an honest and, and truthful view of yourself, that you don't get down on yourself too much. In fact, it, it impacts your physical health, uh, your mental health. There are all these factors, and I, I totally acknowledge that. But at the same time, the answer to my badness, to what's wrong inside of me, is not that I think better of myself. It's not that I have a positive self-image. It's that I have a positive God image. That I look at God and I trust him because I know he has power over what's bad inside of me. You see, scripture over and over again points to the solution being that you trust God. And so to to make the point, like nobody would ever come to God saying, God, look how lucky you are to have me. Like we would never say that, right? We would never tell God like, God, I'm really good and you should be happy that I'm on your team. Absolutely not, right? No, the the theme of scripture, the theme, how we stand before God, what we have to do when we go to God is we acknowledge our weakness and trust God. Acknowledge your weakness and trust God. That's what we're called into. That's the story of what these guys had to do. They had to acknowledge their weakness and trust God. And so the blessing that we get from these guys is this, may you be inspired to overcome. Going on in verse 33, the author tells us about what these guys did. It says, who, these guys who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight received back their dead by resurrection. You see, these guys, they had true faith. And because of their true faith, they were able to overcome. True faith overcomes. What we have here is a progression of more and more significant acts that have come because of their faith. It says, in verse 33, it says, who, uh, through or because of their faith, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, and obtained promises. Those first three things are acts of political establishment. God is setting up his kingdom. And so first, the, the Israelites go in and he, he empowers the judges to conquer kingdoms. Enforced justice means that you're setting up a system of, of law and justice and righteousness. Obtained promise. Anytime in the Old Testament that promise is spoken of, promise always refers to the land that Israel was going to receive. There was a land. And so these first three point to God's establishment, his political establishment. The next three acts point to deliverance from death. Stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. And this points to God's overcoming work to the one thing that we cannot overcome ourselves, death points to God's power to overcome in those situations. And finally, the last three were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Those three acts are acts of military victory, things that God accomplished on behalf of his people because they trusted him. And it climaxes in verse 35 
women received back their dead by resurrection. That this final enemy that stands against people, God even has the power to overcome that if you will trust him. God even has the power to overcome that if you will trust him. You see, in certain contexts, God works on behalf of those who trust him in order to take ground for the kingdom and overcome every obstacle. That's what's going on here. These guys simply trusted God, even if it was just in a moment. They trusted God, and God overcame obstacles on their behalf, and they were able to take ground for the kingdom. You see, God is actively, he's actively searching for people who will simply trust him so he can go to work for them. He's looking and he's waiting. He's just waiting for you to trust so that he can go to work for you. These guys that we were talking about in key moments, they decided to take on the world in faith, trusting God, and God went to work for them. And the implication is this, because of faith, Many of you, many of us, are truly capable of doing great things. Now, in and of ourselves, we may not be very capable, but because of faith, if we would simply trust God, we are capable of doing great things. This is the harsh reality to that, is that some of us still won't. Some of us still will not trust God. Some of us still will not take him at his word, even though we have the examples of all of these who have gone before us. Jesus speaks of this. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, he says, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. God has this harvest out there, and he's just waiting for people who will trust him. He's just waiting for people to take the step of faith into the harvest, to start working so that he can go to work. He says, but the laborers are few. There are some who still won't trust. And so he calls us, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. God is just actively searching for those who will take the step of faith so that he can go to work for them. So this is the so what of this. True faith overcomes True faith overcomes. You see, there is overcoming to be done for the kingdom. There is kingdom work to be done. God is waiting for you to trust him. There, God will work on your behalf if only you would trust. See, we, we live in a context where opportunities really abound. There, we, we don't have oppression around us. We have a lot of freedom to do whatever God might call us to do. We live in a place where we can take steps of faith, where we can take ground for the kingdom. And God has made, I bet God has made many of you aware in your own spheres of influence, in your own lives, of ground that can be taken for the kingdom. Simple encouragement here is stop resisting and trust him. Stop resisting and trust him. Have faith because true faith overcomes. So the first blessing is may you be inspired to overcome. The second blessing is this, may you be inspired to endure. 
Hebrews 11 and verse, that second half of verse 35. There's quite a switch in the author's tone. He says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that, that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered, suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. Notice here that faith doesn't seem to overcome. In fact, here it seems that faith has failed. So we look at the ministry of the prophets. So remember back to the list that we had at the beginning. We stopped with Samuel. And then after Samuel, it said, and the prophets. The text said, and the prophets. The prophets fit into this category. They were the ones who were tortured, who were stoned, who were sawn into. In fact, uh, in Jewish tradition of the time that this was written, uh, the prophet Isaiah was actually, uh, the, the tradition says that he was thrown into a log. The way he died was that he was thrown into a log and they closed the log on top of him and he was sawn in two. That they were killed with the sword. There are those who were trying to faithfully proclaim God's word to his people and because of it, they faced persecution. Now, the first thing that this does is it spits in the face of anything that might be like the power of positive thinking or, or health and wealth or, or anything like that because those things say if you trust God more, you will have an easy life. You will have a good life. God will provide for you. God will overcome everything on your behalf. He will do it all for you. But that's not the case with these guys because these guys were the most righteous. They were the most trusting in God. And this is what their faith led to. Their faith led to death. In some contexts, the people who trust God the most, they don't conquer because of their faith. They don't overcome because of their faith. They suffer and die because of their faith. The text goes on. It says that they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You see, on the surface, when we heard those stories about the guys who overcame every obstacle, on the surface, this looks like failed faith. My question as we approach this is, is really this. How in the world are these stories supposed to inspire us? These stories of people who went before us and died because of their faith. How is this supposed to inspire us? You see, from a worldly perspective of success, of accomplishment, of the overall good, of these things that God is supposed to obtain for us, these, these things up here, these things, the destitute, the affliction, the wandering about in deserts, those things don't seem good to us. Those things seem like faith might be failing. These things should frighten and deter us from faith. But the kingdom of God operates in a different manner. 
You know, Jesus talks about this in the Beatitudes, in fact. He's preaching about the kingdom of God. And in Matthew chapter 5, he's, he's talking about the nature of what happens in the kingdom of God. Like, who's blessed and who's honored in the kingdom of God. And this is what he said. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. What he's saying is, if you face this hard life, if you're poor in spirit, if you are one who mourns, if you are meek, if you are humble, these things go against every standard of what is good and right and overcoming in this world. And he says, if these things describe you, you are blessed. And then in verse 12. In verse 12, we really see why all these people are blessed. It says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. You see, there's something deeper to the faith of those who went before us, who had to endure all kinds of hard things. There's something deeper to their faith than the reality of their present circumstances, than the reality of what was happening to them. You see, their faith, it wasn't grounded in whether or not God provided for them right now. Their faith was grounded in a God who had made a promise for a future. Their faith was grounded in God who keeps his promises. You see, they endured everything because they were confident that God keeps his promises. They endured the the discomfort, the hardship, the worst kinds of lives because they trusted that God had something better for them. They endured oppression, slander, and even death by their own countrymen because they had a certainty that was grounded in God's character. And this was the thing, the promise that they were looking for, it hadn't even been revealed yet. Verse 39, he says, and all these, though they were commended, though they were applauded through their faith, because of their faith, he said they did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So let's uh, talk about what's going on here. First of all, let's talk about the promise. The promise that the prophets looked forward to, the promise that was before Christ, that people were looking forward to was this, that God's kingdom would come on earth through his Messiah. God was going to send a Messiah that would bring his kingdom to earth. That, that there's something wrong with this world. There's something disjointed about it. But, but somebody is going to come and bring things back into alignment. Somebody's going to come and make the world right again. The promise was a Messiah who was going to set things right. And so verse 40 says this, they did not, so the prophets did not receive the promise, right? The prophets were looking forward to it, but they had not seen it. They had not encountered it. They were preaching about it. They were looking forward to it. They died because of it. 
but they had not received it. Verse 40 said, since God had provided something better for us. So what's better than not receiving a promise? Receiving a promise. We have received the promise. And who? Jesus. Jesus has come. And not only has Jesus come, but he died and was resurrected. So the thing that's wrong with this world, death, death, the only enemy that we cannot overcome, the promise that that God's kingdom on earth, it gave us the promise of overcoming death, that we look forward to resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, the end, that future, that promise, it broke into the present. The beginning of God's kingdom on earth was inaugurated at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The promise that the prophets looked forward to, it started at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What they endured for, we have now received. Jesus has been resurrected. And what he's saying is, is that they, they endured all of that and they hadn't received the promise. How much more then should you endure because you have received the promise? So then, this is the, the main point of the story of these prophets. It's that true faith endures. You see, in some contexts, trusting God means that you will endure until death. You will simply endure all sorts of persecution, anything that comes against you until death. So I, have, uh, I had the privilege of taking a church history course at Trinity this semester. And uh, one of the, in this class, uh, one of the stories that I heard about at the very beginning of the class was really pretty convicting and, and compelling at the same time to me. It's the story of Polycarp, who was an early church father, very early church father. He um, had a dream the night before he was arrested. He had a dream that, that he was going to be burned alive for his faith. And, and then the next morning, he woke up and the Roman guard arrived at his door to ultimately lead him to his death. But then there's this story of like this two-day journey of him going back to Rome. And, and it's documented that as he, as he sort of goes through this, this two-day journey, he has this excitement about him. He's not frightened. He's not scared of what's going to happen to him. He's excited because he gets to die for Jesus. He gets to go in front of all these people. And because of his faith, he is going to endure to the end. And everybody around him is going to watch him die for Jesus. Because he believes that God keeps his word. He's going to stand as a testimony to everybody. And so he has this excitement to go and die. Today, the persecuted church around the world, Christians around the world, face all sorts of imprisonment and even death because of their faith. They have that same sort of, some of them that same sort of excitement, but some of them are just trying to, to endure in their faith. 
And they're all faced with this same question. Do you believe God? Do you believe God? If so, you'll endure to the end. And so these prophets who came before the promise, the persecuted church who is coming after the promise, they all answered that question and the affirmative. I trust God. I believe him. And they believed unto death. So what? We have one faith. And apparently from this text, that one faith can have two responses. We can either overcome or we can endure. And context matters. The context that we live in, what's going on around us, will determine whether the proper response is to overcome or to endure. You see, one says, go and win. The other says, go and die. One says, go take territory, take ground for the kingdom. The other one says, take my stuff, take my home, take my life. You see, and this is, my question is, how do we as Americans, when we have a lot of comfort, when we have a lot of peace, how do we as Americans respond to the persecuted church, to those who have to endure every day for their faith? We trust God and overcome. We take ground for the kingdom. We move the kingdom forward. You see, we live in an overcoming context. We have a lot of peace, a lot of freedom here. We're given a lot of opportunity to go and do whatever God would call us to do. This is why we planted a church, right? Village Church is in the process of stepping into this overcoming context, of taking steps of faith. We sent out Village Church East because we believe that when we act in faith, God goes to work for us. Matthew 16, 18 speaks of the church like this. Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and what? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is saying, the church, the people of God, they are to go, they're to go, get on the offensive, take as much ground as you can while the harvest is still plentiful. And even, this is even true with the persecuted church, with those who have to suffer because of their faith. For some reason, in persecuted contexts, God does something amazing. And even though the gates of hell are trying to wrestle against the church, God explodes the church. I don't know if you know what has gone on in China in the last 20 years, but they've been restricted. The Christians in China have been restricted to underground churches. They cannot be out in public. They cannot be out in the open. And somehow, God has exploded the underground church in China for millions of people to come and trust Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, the gates of hell are out there. Go get them. The gates of hell are out there. Go get them. They have no power over you. They will not stop you. Go take ground for the kingdom. Overcome, work while the harvest is still plentiful. If we simply trust God, God will go 
to work on our behalf. Hebrews 12, it goes on. After the, the author has wrapped up with this, these stories of inspiration, Hebrews 12 goes on and he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, literally that word witnesses is martyrs. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of martyrs, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's talking about these martyrs, these witnesses, these people who have gone before us. And there's this picture that they're sort of applauding us as they've gone before us, our inspiration, those heroes who went before us, they're standing there applauding us. And the author's calling us to be inspired. Those who overcame, those who endured, they're all standing there together cheering us on in this walk of faith. And then Jesus, the promise, the one who was looked forward to and the one who came, the one who overcame death. Jesus is at the finish line. And, and all the martyrs, all the, the witnesses who went before us, they're all looking to him. And we're looking to him as well. We're all looking at the same goal and we're moving towards him. And so finally, as you run towards Jesus, trust that he will be faithful to perfect your faith. Your faith may only be very small right now. But if you trust him and take that next step, he will strengthen it. And then take the next step and he will strengthen it even more. He will keep strengthening your faith. He is faithful to perfect your faith. I'm going to pray and then we'll uh, celebrate communion. Celebrate the one who died and rose again. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your character, and I thank you that you reveal your character to us. Lord, I thank you for the stories of those who have gone before us, of those who we get to watch as they trust you and you go to work for them. And Lord, for every person in this room, I pray that you would put in our hearts a desire to trust you more, to know that you have and you are going to work for us. Lord, I pray that in this context that we were in, that many of us would realize the opportunities that we have to take steps of faith and watch you overcome. Lord, I pray for the church globally, those who are persecuted, those who have to endure because of their faith. God, I pray that you would embolden them, that you would strengthen them. God, that you would enable them to proclaim clearly your gospel. Finally, God, I ask that 
as we leave this place, that we truly would be inspired by the example of those who have gone before us. That we would be willing to take those steps to overcome. Or Lord, if you so deem that we would be able to endure. Lord, we trust you. We thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen.